Welcome to the Strategy Mob Podcast. Tune in for everything you need to know to stay in the know regarding the automotive industry. Here's your host, Jason Harris. Hey, 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 what's going on, Podcast Nation? It is Jason Harris here, and thank you for joining me on another episode of Strategy Mob. Today, I have a very special guest from the warm, sunny state of Colorado. <laughs> it's not really warm, is it? It's not really it's snowy mostly, but that's good. I have the one and only, the oh so famous Mr. Jeff Vanderwall in the house with me. Jeff, thanks you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. Absolutely. I, I appreciate you inviting me on. It's gonna be fun. Looking forward to it. It is gonna be fun. Like, you know, we set up a pretty cool agenda here. I mean, these are some topics that are both timely, they're relevant. And you know they really get deep into process and operations and why we do the things we do. Uh, but before we get into kind of the core of our conversation today, I always like to start off every podcast with a little origin story because I always find it very interesting how everybody got into this business. So, so, so Jeff, what is the origin story of how you got into the automotive business? Yeah, you bet. And no, I appreciate the question. So my, at the end of the day, for me, um, when I was a kid, um, I would uh, sit in the back of my parents' minivan when we'd take like our trips out to Michigan and uh, for our family vacations. And I would sit in the back of the minivan with an Auto Trader magazine back when they actually had like magazines. And I would look through it and I'd be like, oh, that's a good deal. That's a good deal. And I mean, I was literally eight, nine, ten. And uh, I just knew I've always just loved the car. The, I just love cars, but I didn't necessarily love the car business because I was aware enough to recognize the kind of the stigma that came along with that. So, um, you know, I started early. Um, I went to a community college for two years and sat at the bench um, instead of playing baseball. So after two years of sitting at the bench at a community college, I figured it's probably my time to hang them up. And so I went straight into the car business, um, buying inventory for a guy. And um, I actually built a um, just randomly just built a uh, really strong um, client portfolio and mm -hmm. um, of just people who I knew from, you know, different aspects of my life through church or through, you know, whatever, just people, relatives, whatever, big family. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so I just started selling them cars and, and, um, and then fell into uh, the professional athlete world. And so started a, a leasing company that basically handled uh, custom leases for professional athletes, specifically professional baseball players, which That's was cool. just, it's awesome in, in theory, but they're difficult to deal with. Uh, but it was very profitable. It was awesome. And um, it was great. It was very, very fun. Um, ended up selling that, um, kind of grew what we currently have today, which is this big portfolio. But what I realized is, is that we were having such success with individuals one-on-one one doing new and used leasing all kinds of different things um that we kind of understood this when i say we my team understood the secret sauce of how people work and, and operating with people and uh the missing link is the people part of it um connecting with them and so um, when i started clear shift um clear shift right clear and transparent shift in a completely different direction in the auto industry. So cool. um, I did it because I knew we knew how to connect with people. And so that's how the whole thing came to pass as far as um, running in this 
not in a typical lane, but um, I wanted to be able to do it at a high level, um, do a lot of business, but in a different direction and, and, uh, and specifically different than what people um, had seen in the past. And so um, that's kind of the story behind it. We kind of did uh, online sales, things like that before it was overly cool. It was just uh, something that we wanted to do and, and help people. And so we've, we've made some mistakes in that. We've come a long way from that, but that's really the origin of how this whole thing came to be. You know, I find, you know, once a disruptor, always a disruptor, you know, like it's just, it's kind of in you, you know, and, you know, it doesn't necessarily yeah. surprise me that you were into the auto trader, you know, catalogs. I remember, you know, going through the auto trader catalogs myself and looking at every Mustang LX, you know, Fox body style and, <laughs> Fox body, and, yeah. uh, and going, you know, that's a good deal. That's a good deal. No, that's a crappy deal. Oh, you know that, oh, the, those guys got a, a better gear ratio. Wait, this has got a manual. That's like, right. I was, you know what? And, and, you know, it is, it's something that's kind of in your blood. It's in your blood, man. And I love, I love, love, love the fact on how just buyer centric or customer centric you've chosen to go about your business. Cause I feel like we connect you know, in that same place in, in a big way. And that kind of leads into kind of our conversation today. Look, we're, we're going to talk about digital retailing. Look, this is not the first podcast that's been put out there about digital retailing, but I think both right. of us really do kind of understand what it really means, you know, to a dealer to put mm -hmm. together digital retailing. And I, I hate to say it, but it's become a buzzword. That sucks because I think it's it, it's it's such an important process that needs to be developed in the in the dealership. So let's start here. How do you define digital real uh, retailing, and what does it really mean to you? If I had to categorize it with one term, coining a term, I guess it would be some a way to connect with people on a personal level through digital media, like mm -hmm. uh, and and buy a car. So when actually transacting an automobile purchase, um, doing it in a manner in which you can still connect with them on a human level, make them feel comfortable, and execute the transaction in a multitude of different ways. So it, I mean, really, that's it. You're just reaching through the computer and and figuring out what their needs are, and then executing whatever their needs are in whatever facet, kicking down all the cones that need to be kicked down in order to execute that transaction. Some are in-state, some are out-of-state, but digital retail, I think more than anything, there's more of a misunderstanding of what it is yes. as opposed to an understanding of what it is, if that makes sense. No, no, for sure. Look, I, I think, you know, like we got a chance to talk about this a little bit off camera before we started. I mean, you know, my, my Mitsubishi dealerships, we were doing digital retailing before the, that was that was a term. And to your point, you're exactly right. It, it's it's how to connect to the customer in a digital way that they feel comfortable in doing. And then, you know, pretty much executing as much of the or little as the transaction that they ultimately want to do. And I find that right now, you know, our industry is defining digital retailing as a widget like this. This mm -hmm. thing that you buy and you you throw on your website and you can check off that ver proverbial like checkbox like I have digital retailing I must be a progressive dealer so thumbs up right but both mean you know that it goes way beyond just the tech and it starts with the process and you know I, I tell dealers all the time you're gonna get into digital retailing you define the process first and then you work backwards towards the technology so you know I want to kind of hear from you kind of your your path to process when it comes to the digital retailing structure that you guys have created? Yeah, no, I appreciate the question. So here, here's the thing. So I really feel like we're the voice of all the dealers that don't have two or $300 million of backing, right? Like <laughs> yeah. we did this like by literally building it, okay? And so um, this let me have this be an encouragement to a lot of dealers, okay? You can do digital retail. It's just, it, it, Jason's right, is it's just become a, a coined term, okay? so. 
process, understanding what people want. Um, there's two, there's two parts of this and I'll, I'll dissect both. One is from a leadership perspective, understanding that, um, digital retail needs to happen. And that means connecting with customers outside of the showroom. COVID has pushed us forward a decade like that. I mean, we went forward 10 years in the industry overnight, which is amazing. If you're a forward thinking organization, um, doesn't mean you can't, it doesn't mean you can't make up ground there, but if you're not thinking towards what that really means, you need to start looking at what that really means. Digital retail is this two things, one connecting with the customer and figuring out what their needs are and having a process to execute to get them the car. And that looks different on every deal, but it's training to understand what we currently have is a CEC, which is a customer experience center. So we're talking about process. It starts with car gurus, auto trader, whatever, whatever you guys have, um, whatever the dealership's using customers, uh, you're, you're spending a, a budget to get those people to engage with you through price or through color or whatever reason they've selected your car. This is when digital retail starts. They click through to your website and then it's the same thing. They're calling you for what you have. You're not calling them to try to pitch them something. So we realize that we don't need to sell them. We just need to connect with them. And so people call into our customer experience center. I've got one gal that used to work at the zoo. She's awesome. I got one guy that um, is, I think he has a degree in in, um, some sort of rocket engineering. And then the other guy is a, had a uh, natural grocery store. There's all these different personalities that all they do is connect with people. They are the furthest thing away from a car salesman or a BDC that you can get. So you connect with these people. Why are you calling and how can we help? And then you gather some information and it goes to our purchase ops team. So what ends up happening there is we find out what the heart behind it is. Are they buying it because it's red? Are they are they COVID conscious or not? Do mm-hmm. they want to come in and kick the tires? Do they want it delivered to Cleveland, Ohio? Exactly. Do they have a trade? Do they have a payoff? All of these things that you're finding out as you structure a deal, this is digital retail. And the problem is, is that everyone wants to put a widget on there. But the problem is, is that the widget can't be human. And so even though you can use artificial intelligence to connect with people, at some point, there needs to be a human handshake on a digital platform. And that is where people are missing it because every deal stands on its own two feet and they're different. And so you have to have a a process in place customer facing and internally facing. Internal facing is that we... Like, Go ahead, sorry. No, it's, I'm going to say it, it's and I, and I love and I don't mean to stop you because you're because you're on a roll, man. But but no, like it's I, I just really, really, really want to drive home to everyone out there that's watching, listening right now that, you know, it, it is a process first, you know, staff then that will be able to execute on that process. Because I, I find that right now I find like maybe some dealerships will get as far as actually, you know, uh, documenting the process and kind of how they want to do it. But I understand we got to step back from that process that that process is not made for our dealership profitability. Our process is made for the convenience of our customers. So if you're, if you're looking at digital retailing right now and you're looking at it as, as, as a way to generate more deals or sell more cars, you know, that, that's just a byproduct of just providing better service. That's not what digital retailing is going to do. Digital retailing is going to, is going to connect, you know, with customers in a, in a digital way. But you, but to your point, you, gotta have that staff like so for everyone out there that's watching listening right now jeff um and they're maybe they're shaking their heads up and down or maybe at this point they've turned off um who cares those guys can go away um but (laughs) you know for the people out there that are shaking their heads and they're agreeing with us like 
you know, what are like walk me through kind of that that first meeting, uh, you know, that you had of like, you know, that first whiteboard session of how you're going to document the process and what did that process look like when you guys started down this path? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. So I think from the top down perspective, if you're looking at the whiteboard, we had to make the heart change in, at, at the top and say, listen, we're going to commit to this. And it's going to sound cliche. And um, it, it is cliche, but it's true. <laughs> it's right. You have to give first and then receive. Like you have 100%. to have the wherewithal to say, we're going to commit to the process of serving people first and then recognize that those principles are true and will yield us more customers. And so we had to do that up front, which is a pretty strong investment of human capital and also a pretty strong conviction in knowing that the market's changing. I think it's pretty proven now that the market's changing, right? We knew that, but now understanding, okay, well, we don't need salespeople. We need connectors, right? We need connectors because they're already calling us for what they want. So if we have what they want, it's a matter of connecting them in the easiest way possible um, to execute an actual purchase. Well, yeah, you look, you're making the process for them, not for you. Correct. You know, it's, I, I, I think right now, you know, there's a lot of a lot of dealers out there or managers out there that almost kind of need to take a, you know, a look in the mirror and, and realize that they're a customer as well. And their expectation of the experience is, is the same as everybody else. And, you know, I think too often we're creating those processes for our own profitability and not necessarily for the customer, but, but, it's, a, but it's a mindset. You have to get into the mindset that, that you're doing this for the customer. And here's, fun, here's something funny. I've yet to meet a dealership or been in a dealership or, uh, that, you know, built their processes for the customer, all right, and failed in the sense of profitability. You know, it, mm. it's like you do it for the customer, and it's this crazy thing. The profit side of it actually works out quite well. But look, right. we're, as an industry, we're trying to maintain control. And really what you're talking about here, Jeff, is like is giving that control back to the customer. So, you know, for, for, for a lot of those dealers out there that are listening that, that have not have that mindset about giving the control back, what, what do you say to them? Well, and I would almost – I would almost uh, – I would almost, um Giving the control back to the customer, I would still say that we're in control and here's why. Mm -hmm. Not in control in a sense of um, trying to dictate how it goes, but making them understand that we understand this process. We do this every day. We realize you don't, but we do. And so let me walk you let me walk you through what this purchase is going to look like. And so I train my people to to let them know, Hey, you're from Boise. We're in Denver. I understand that this is not something you do every day, but it's something that we do. And so let me tell you what this is going to look like. Here's what to expect next. So we're still setting up the parameters of the deal without um, a lot of guesswork. I think, I think um, what really boils down to is the emotional aspect of it from the consumer standpoint. And I'd love to get into this with you a little bit as we, you know, kind of divulge into this, but, but really you're still in full control. You just have to know what you're in control of and what you're in control of is the process, not the customer, right? You're, you're basically saying, listen, folks, if this is the right car for you, let me tell you about how we reconditioned it, how we market it, how we service it, the, what to expect in the back end from us with financing, extended service contracts, et cetera. Here's what you're expecting. And then it's our job to actually execute on that. And, and if you do that and you set up the parameters, they just go one, 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 right down the line and then they execute the deal. And so you're just in control of it differently than what you would expect on a typical retail exchange. But Jeff, I think you said it so well. I mean, look, you, 
we should be in control of our process, not the customer. Right. And exactly. you know I mean, right. look, look, I remember when I was being trained as a salesperson, like I, I, I still remember it to this day so vividly, you know, the trainer, you know, teaching me to force the customer to hold the, um, the hood of the car open, even though there was a freaking latch, but just to impose my control of getting them to do what I want them to do is telling them, I need you to hold that open for me, right? Like it's just weird, crazy stuff like that. But I hate to say it though, there's still a lot of dealerships and processes that are still built around that same mentality that the that the customer has to follow, you know, that we have to maintain that, that control, that control of it, you know, but let's go like, so we build out the process, develop the process and you were kind of touching into it, but I want to go deeper into it. But then you got to find the staff to actually execute on that process. And, you know, to your point, I love the fact that you have many different kind of types of people in your, in your business. And it sounded like a lot of them didn't have automotive background. So I, walk yep. me through this, right? You've developed out this amazing process. All right. You're super jacked about it. You can't wait to start executing it, but now you got to find the people to execute it. And how did you identify those individuals that you felt confident that were actually going to execute this process? <laughs> Okay, so you're not going to like this answer uh, if you're <laughs> currently operating a store. Um, we don't hire car people. We home grow every one of them. We go. do. We have a huge video library that we do stuff just like this. I sit in front of a camera. I go through our heart. Understand this is what people are looking for. And most people identify with um, the consumer, not the salesperson, right? If some, somebody outside the industry, they they're like, oh yeah, car buying a car is terrible, and it's the the salespeople have a hard time kind of unscrambling that egg. So here's the bad news. The bad news is some of your staff members are just going to have to go. And that's the truth. It's <laughs> true. Because I've tried it both ways, guys, and it's really tough to unscramble the egg. Um, but the good news is there's a huge pool of people that want to be a part of something and, and want to want to um, operate in, a, in inside of that store. And, and you can bring them on to say, hey, this is how we do this, how we serve people, this is what we do. And, and you don't train them all the way the guys, people have typically been trained throughout their, um, throughout their career. So you got to get new people and you get, and, and that doesn't mean that everybody's got to go out, but the, the people that don't have the heart to serve people, they're typically based on commission sales. We don't do commission sales. We pay flats on everything. We, so you may want to go down this road. You may yeah, not, no, Jason, but like because... we can open this whole thing up for you if you want, but we, our process is just completely different. It's really hard to do it with car people, honestly. No, no, and that's true. And look, I love the fact that you talked about the uh, pay structure. Because I think that also lays into the people. Look, if, you, if you're going to create a buyer-centric experience uh, and a digital retailing experience and process, you know, you can't pay people the exact same way, right? You, you have to pay them, you know, you were in baseball. So look, how many sports analogies we use in this industry is quite high, right? right. A lot, you yeah. know? But we measure people's success in sports on their efforts, not always their results. You know, it's like, how many times did you get on base? How far did you make it out there, right? Like th those are actually what ends up getting calculated out to determine if you're a really good player or not. But for some reason right. in our industry, we were so insanely result driven that, you know, you could be a, a 15 car a month person, you know, but you, you only took, you know, 40 ups to do it, you know, but then the person that did 25 cars, all right, and burned through 100 ups somehow gets, you know, the reward and the hoorah, good job, you know. So, you know, 
uh, it has to be kind of effort based. No, so I'm curious because I want I do want to dive into this on your pay structure because I think there's yep. uh, hopefully you're okay with that. Um, but so, no, how do you create an efforts based focus? You know, pay structure. Yep. So we, we look at it like this, you, you hit the nail on the head. I've had the superstars uh, mm-hmm. from the industry, but the problem is they're culture killers because sure. it's all about them. Um, it's they, they, they talk about gross continually. Oh man, I'm at a five pounder on this person. I, I can tell you right now, I don't have a single person down there besides the guy that runs the, the, the sales portion of it that knows what a five pounder is nobody <laughs> that's not even in the dialect. It was, it's just not something that, that we even understand. And we've created that um, because it's, it, there's nothing wrong with making gross. I mean, we, no. we do very well. Um, we have a, um, our front and back gross average is $2,650. A lot of people don't believe that we do that. That's our, that's our, split up monthly, quarterly. That's what we always end up at. Um, we set up a, a very straightforward uh, process. We have an associate pay plan. We have an executive pay plan and the executive pay plan doesn't have a guarantee. The associate pay plan does. It's a couple like 200 bucks to sell a car. It's a hundred bucks for a warrant or 200 bucks for a warranty, hundred bucks for a car, hundred bucks for finance. So if somebody has a car and they buy a, a extended service contract and the buy a car extended service contract and financing, they make 500 bucks. So at the end of the day, um, plus we, we, you know, people get five-star review, we give them a little kick. Um, and so, you know, guy can have a five car day guy or gal with five car day and it's 2,500 bucks. So, um, I understand in the typical store, if you have a huge gross, you can make $2,500, but our people also sell 30 to 40 cars a month. So it's extremely valuable for them. Um, and we're just getting inundated with leads. So uh, we get people that don't understand because there's times where we have a large gross, but they don't understand. They don't understand the front and the back. They just know I just got another one and I need to move to the next one. So it's, it's pretty elementary when it comes to the pay structure. Well, but I also find simpler is better, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, how many times I've reviewed a pay structure to find out that it was just incredibly overcomplicated, you know, for a salesperson to actually ever, you know, really, truly kind of make a living, you know, um, like, let's go into kind of the, the transparency you know, of what you guys have created because, you know, creating that buyer centric, you know, kind of process creates this level of transparency and you've used it as kind of, you know, you're moving, you're moving towards transparency is the, that AKA the heart change, which by the way, I love, I, I mm. love that. And I might actually have to steal that from you use it a couple of times, but let's Bye. dive deeper into that. So, so walk yeah. me through, you know, the transparency of, the, the heart change and how it has to come from the top down. Yeah. Let me, let me, let me just say this. Um, let's hit heart change first and then we'll talk transparency. Sure. The heart change is this when you are um, a lot of what I see the, the disconnect that I'm having. And I hear this when I speak a lot is I have, I have a lot of um, people come up and they say, man, we would love to do what you're doing, but the owner who's like my uncle or my dad, or, you know, this yeah. guy, this yeah. person that's been doing it for 20 years, they just don't get it and they won't do it and they won't change. And so what do we do? And I tell them, honestly, it's going to be really difficult to execute because as soon as you come against adversity, it's like you throw the baby out with the bathwater and everybody exactly. in this industry has seen this, right? New GM comes in, new used cars manager comes in. We do this, we do that. We make some mistakes and all of a sudden, you know, people start flying out the door and it's like back to the hard Bob Anderson back and let's get the you know old boys back in here and sell some cars. Right. <laughs> and it's like, 
that's very frustrating. And so if you don't have a top down mentality where you're going to have to strategize up front and say, we're going to move towards digital retail in the process driven, consumer driven way. And here's how we're going to execute on it. If you don't do that, the easiest thing you got to ever heard the phrase, sometimes the, the, um, you know, I don't know, sorry, burn the bridge behind you, right? You, you, of course. you cross the bridge, you burn the bridge behind you. Sometimes the brightest light comes from a burning bridge. You got to burn the bridge, man. You got to make the decision to go. And then you got to burn the bridge behind you and move forward. Because the easiest thing to do is turn back and go, you know what? We probably just should have bought more Chrysler's at the Chrysler sale and just, you know, done our, you know, another tent sale. You can't, you, you got to commit to it. And so from the heart transplant where it's, you literally look at it and say, okay, we are going to we are going to put a process in place. We're going to tell the truth. We're going to shoot people straight. When we say it's six percent, six percent. We tell them it's four hundred dollar payments, four hundred dollar payment. We're actually going to do what we say we're going to do. We're not going to operate in gray. We're going to operate in truth, black and white. That's it. So yes. tell them the truth. Doesn't mean you're not supposed to be a good salesperson. Doesn't mean emotions is not a part of it. Doesn't mean that we don't do. Uh, well and operate in excellence. It just means we're going to tell the truth. And once you have that heart change and you can start moving forward, then people will understand that, trust me, they won't believe you. It's not their job to believe you because you're worth believing. Mm -hmm. It's your job to prove to them through process and execution and honesty they won't even realize it till after the sale. Like they'll leave and they'll be in their car and they'll be like, we totally just, I, I think that was, that was crazy. We've never experienced anything like that before. It doesn't happen till after the purchase, but then they leave a review and they tell a friend and then they come back two years, three years later, buy another car. And so that's how you have to build it. And it's the long play from the top down. And, and it really is a heart change because you can't just bolt this on and start with saying, well, let's try this digital retail thing until COVID dies down and then we'll go back to selling cars. It, it, the old way it, it, it's there isn't an old way there's too much competition there's too many too much consumer expectation now oh, moving for sure. forward in this lane and people have to adapt to it period well you know what like I, it sounds to me it, it, what we're really kind of talking about is you know kind of identifying and truly understanding why we do the things we do the way we do them right you know mm -hmm. look at the end of the day we, we, we all know how to sell a car all right we all know how to deliver a car but to really understand why we do it the way we do it, you know, is, is that why, and then that why gives our process direction. So like, mm -hmm. I, I want to know for yourself, I mean, this is, this is a serious why. I mean, like, this can't be like an overnight. You're like, this is what we're going to do. So kind of walk me through of like, why, how did this became your why that motivated you to push and develop out these mm -hmm. processes and put this staff and this team together? Let me, let me, let me say this, the, 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 the reason the car business is so far behind is because we've sold out for emotion as opposed to innovation. Okay. So what we did was we said, listen, if we can get them in the door and we can get them in the car and then, you know, park it next to their crappy trade and sit them in the guest lounge for two and a half hours and work their trade and do this and do that and put them in the box and work them here and work them there that at the end of the day, they'll roll over and we'll sell them a car because they, they're just completely bought on emotion. That is that has been the car business over the last 30 years. Would oh, you agree with sure. that? It's been an emotional based business. It's, 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 it's absolutely an emotional based business, but it, 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 I find dealers don't connect to the emotion. They connect to the profit more than they connect to the emotion. So like, here's, here's something I'll completely admit about myself, right? Like my, my EQ is not overly high. 
Okay. You know, it's just, it, th there was, there was a time that I had to really kind of develop out, you know, my, my understanding of why I do or why I feel the way I feel like I, I was not, I was not in a mindset where I can understand that, but I can understand my spreadsheets and I can understand my bottom line and I can understand my profitability. And I, I will, I will be the first one to admit that is what gave direction to the processes and the staff that I hired and so on and so forth. And, but it took me a while when I failed at that, actually that's what it was. I failed at that. And through that failure, I realized that, that I didn't have that, that emotional, that emotional direction. So look, I, I'm, but I'm, I'm not unique that way. There's a lot of dealers out there that are still motivated and they develop the processes and direct the, you know, their, their team based on what those numbers are. And not necessarily, you know, really understanding the, you know, why they're doing it the way they're doing it. So, you know, for all, look, you're obviously your your EQ is high. You're, you're connected, right? You can you can see how that benefits all the way down to the bottom line. But there's a lot of dealers out there that don't see that. So, what kind of advice can you can you give to you know the people that were like me who really struggled, you know, to, mm -hmm. to understand and develop out EQ and mindset around understanding why I feel the way I feel? Um, what kind of advice can you give them? Yeah, good question. Look, the, the uh, bottom lines are a real thing, guys. It's like, listen, we got bottom lines are a real thing, and you have to be aware of them. No question. I guess emotion is the conduit in which we we try to manipulate the deal. And what I would say right now, with the way COVID has pushed things forward in digital retail, is that we don't have the opportunity for the emotional sell anymore because we're not face to face with people. People are on the other side of the computer screen. They're searching all over the place. And so that's a reality to try to figure out, okay, how do I get these people to want to buy from me? And you have to exchange emotion for transparency and honesty. And I think that's where you got to realize if, hey, listen, if we do a good job on our side to recon this car and get it retail ready, you know, talking used cars, yes. um, we can stand behind this car. And so instead of trying to get them based on emotion, now we have to base it on, look, you've been told the car business is this way. You, this is actually how we do it. And we'll stand behind our product and we'll do all the things necessary to make you feel comfortable. How can we make you feel more comfortable and just put it all out on the line and say, you know, we don't need to beat them around in the box. We can just, we can make a, a reasonable profit on the backside. I said service contract finance, uh, kickback from the bank. Great. Uh, front end profit. Perfect. Great. Mm -hmm. I mean, mo and, and get a trade and take the pictures, do everything you need to do and exchange emotion for transparency. That's a really easy thing to do if you get your processes and, and procedures in place, because I think what people are looking for right now, the 27 the year old that's looking to buy a car today is scared to death of your salesperson scared oh, to sure. death. Oh, they, sure. they don't want to talk to them. They'd rather, they'd rather go to the dentist than talk to your salesperson. So they're going to send emails out to every single Subaru dealer out there to see who's going to get the bless the, the lowest price. And they're going to see if they can do it all digitally because they don't have that emotional connection to cars anymore, like the older generation does. And so that new type of buyer just wants to be told everything's going to be okay. We'll stand behind it. If something's wrong, this is what it looks like. That transparency is the new emotion because they're just different thinkers. And that's where I would encourage people to go is to a transparent state. What do you have to lose? I mean, you might as well do it right anyway. It doesn't oh, take sure. any less effort to do it right. You might as well just do it right and then sell the car to them, if that, if that makes sense. Oh, no, 100% does. I mean, look, I have found, you know, what's funny is, you know, as I was going through that process myself in my own dealership, right, the, the more transparent we became, 
you know, here's a funny thing. My profitability per transaction actually increased. And, you know, and once I got a little taste of it, oh, man, I was hook, line, sink. I was in, you know, like, um, like against, you know, Mitsubishi and all manufacturers have standards as far as like what you have in your showroom and how it's structured and stuff like that. Well, mm-hmm. honestly, I threw it all out the window, you know, uh, like little things, little things. Like I, I say, like, when, you know, when it comes to like transparency and connecting with people, one of the first things you do is remove every single desk in your in your showroom. I hate desk. I don't know about you, but I personally hate desk. You know, you sit on one side, I sit on the other side. We're playing a proverbial game of poker. You got your cards, I got mm-hmm. my cards, and instantaneously, this does not feel like a fun environment, right? So I got rid of all the desk in my in my showroom, and you know, we went to round tables, kitchen tables. Why? Because we can sit side by side. Who doesn't like working a deal at a kitchen table, anyways, right? Mm-hmm. Then we took it even one <laughs> step farther. You know, we wanted to in, instead of a salesperson disappearing into an office, you know, the 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 abyss that is called the sales manager's office that come back out with a four square with chicken scratcher all over it and who the hell knows mm-hmm. what it actually says all right you know we said well that's not very transparent so so we use transparency as kind of that that term that we wanted to continue to push because our ultimate goal was to be we wanted a brand around transparency like we wanted people using that word in our google reviews that's that was our ultimate goal and that's what kind of pushed us towards so we ended up mounting tvs on the wall where we actually build and price the vehicle right in front of the customer you know, ironically, the, the idea was is that the that we the salespeople are going to do it, and then I had a bunch of I had a bunch of older salespeople that one finger typed, so that didn't work. So you know, the customer yeah. actually took control. The customer grabbed the keyboard. The customer grabbed the mouse and was starting to do it. I'll tell you what, it was really hard for them to negotiate a payment that they built, not one that I yeah. built, right? Yeah, that's so, smart. So like, but but it was but it was a process, man. And I tell you, like we, we failed many times. So I want to go into that because we failed. I'll tell you right now, like you know the uh, the first version of the process. I bet you we were on version 27.5 by the time we actually felt comfortable with it. So talk about, because I feel dealerships, that's where they hold back is they fail a couple of times and then mm-hmm. I'm done. I'm out of here. How did you handle the failure of, you know, the process not working for you? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, we have made some major failures. A couple, yeah, the, the thing that sticks out probably the most to me is um, trying to get people that trying to trying to turn salespeople into into customer relational people that was really a a huge mistake Mm -hmm. um and 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 that was one of those things where i realized the the reason the cec came about was because i couldn't get salespeople to connect with people because they were literally i had one guy that would just go through the leads and look for local phone numbers and i'm like "Uh, what are you doing we got like 107 leads last night what are you doing and he said well i'm just looking for low-hanging fruit and i'm like uh, whereas, you know, because he's not was smart enough to figure out that somebody could live here without out-of-state area code. Hello. So anyway, just stupid stuff like that that I realized, okay, we're getting way too many leads and I'm expecting salespeople to um, to to kind of um, cultivate those and, and, and operate them properly, even inside of, you know, our, our CRM. So I decided to, to, to go the route of a connecting company, our CEC, but it started off as a BDC and it, that was a train wreck. Um, just, I ran into all the same problems that everybody does with the BDC. And so we threw a lot of that stuff out the window. Um, we just realized that we were wasting so many leads because we didn't have the processes. And so we realized that the investment we needed to make in our people, although it was real money and real human capital out, we, we were getting a lot of leads in and we just weren't connecting with all of them. And so that was probably one of the biggest mistakes that we made was not realizing um, how how many people are actually reaching out to us to buy a car? We just weren't getting to them. 
Um, and so that was that was a big that was a big failure. Um, I think the other failure that we've made too is um, when it comes to um, just realizing that sometimes the car gets 500 miles away from here, <laughs> and the first thing you may have to do is write a check for 500 or a thousand or two thousand dollars because the transporter dropped the chain on it, or sure. um, you know the, the thing won't get out of reverse or whatever. And this is like a 2017, you know, Super Duty with. <laughs> you know, six, 6,000 miles on or 26,000 miles on it won't come out of reverse. And I can't do anything about it because we're 500 miles away or whatever. And that's been frustrating to have to just write the check. Um, but it's also been really beneficial because people have gone back and said, Hey, they just write the check, which you're going to have to do. And so, um, the, you know, the, the money you spend after the sale is frustrating at times too. And that's, that's been a big failure at first, which we went to battle on those and then realized like, this isn't customer service. Like, their perceptions reality regardless of what we think it doesn't doesn't matter is what they think and in the you know the court of public opinion we're losing and so we just had to just humble ourselves and just say look if we need to send you a check we'll send you a check and and so those were a couple of major failures that we made um going into it i would tell you one of the things we did do really well um is that we i think i mentioned earlier that our video library mm-hmm. what i really started to do and i don't have to see any of these but like i'll go i'll just put a couple of gopros in my truck and I'll just talk for hours when I'm on these long drives and just talk and talk and talk and talk. And then I'll have, you know, our IT guy chop those up into little mini videos. And I'll have people when I hire them just start listening to those videos because I can't do every training session. I can't sit with everybody one on one, obviously. So those videos of understanding processes, our heart, what we do, what we believe, why we do it. That has been probably the most beneficial thing we've done is really internally market to our own people with our own uh, date, with our own like internal uh, video process, our own internal data to to really market to our own people. Because at the end of the day, if they don't believe it, it'll never work. So if if you have a salespeople say, well, I'd never buy a car online. You got to, that's not going to work. It's definitely not going (laughs) to work. Well, you know what it is? You're, 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 you're ultimately future-proofing your business. You know, I, I think too often as an industry, we get incredibly kind of reactive, you know, and we're just always thinking in 30 day cycles and 90 day cycles. And, you know, it's funny, by, by the time we're dealing with it, all right, you know, it's not that you have a problem, you've had a problem, you're just now right. choosing to deal with the problem, right? And, you know, I think by taking that kind of mindset that you just described so uh, so so well is just you, you're future proofing your business, accepting the failures that are going to really turn into lessons and, and, and understand that this is a journey. You know, we were talking about earlier, like this is a this is a marathon. This is not you know, this is not a race. We're not to the first till the end of the month or to the first to the beginning of the year or beginning of the year to the end of the year. Like that's not what this is. It's, it's a marathon. And I think every dealership and every you know, op- operations out there have to find their own, you know, um, kind of their own pace, you know, like on a, on a marathon, you don't race against others, you race against yourself and you have to define that path and you have to go through that journey. Now, I, I think what's cool is that, you know, you doing this has really kind of defined out what your brand is. Now, I, now I think what's really neat here is that, you know, people realize that, that brand is not necessarily you define as much as, you know, your, your customers and your staff define it for right. you, right? It's how people perceive you. You know, and by going down this direction, you guys have made some amazing, amazing brand, you know, for, for dealerships out there. There are, there are a lot out there that are trying to figure out the branding game. They really are. They're trying to figure out, like, what does it mean how to get it started? You know, what kind of advice can you give them for the dealers out there that understand that they need to develop out better brand strategies and better brand messages? 
You know, so the, thank you for saying that, by the way. I, I think, you know, from our standpoint, one of the big things is, okay, we wanted to brand ourselves. And so we did the same thing that everybody else does. Is who are we? What do we do? Whatever. And all we really did was take a look at the biggest need that we were filling, which is at the moment, we seem to have mm-hmm. a better handle on digital retail than anybody else that I know. And I don't mean that from an arrogant standpoint. I just, I just feel like it's very clear to me. Um, and so what we started doing is just saying, listen, we will hold your hand through the process. We started putting together um, marketing materials, um, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, whatever, just kind of explaining this is how we, this is how this should look. And really what we ended up doing was marketing to other dealers um, to try to encourage them as opposed to our customers. And, and the customer portion of it was pretty organic um, and, and how, you know, they would give reviews and different things like that. So that was pretty organic on, we knew we Google reviews were a great tool for us. So we really pushed that. We really said, Hey, you got a good experience, please give us a review. And then we use that as a third party validator along with car gurus. Car gurus is kind of the big, the, you know, the big marketer in the U S right now they're kind of leading the industry Mm -hmm. and we basically doubled down with them and we said, Hey, what would it look like if we did some, you know, if we did some uh, internal marketing on your side um, and with the customers and with other dealers. And then we just basically coined the, the phrase that we, what, who makes us us. And it was high quality vehicles, amazing values, no games. That's who we are. And so that was our mantra moving forward. And um, I think the other part of it is people are so hungry, Jason, to A, understand digital retail and B, um, really understand um, how to buy a car without touching other people right now. Because people are like, I need a car, but I don't want to see people. Um, That's a huge need. And so it didn't take a whole lot of marketing. Somebody types in, how do I buy a car during COVID and you show up? That's a good thing. Um, And so um, a lot of it was organic, but really just defining who we were and then going after the people both inside the industry and to consumers and, and just honestly trying to help them. Um, and I think one thing I want to try to do today is just, you know, if anything, I want to be able to give something tangible to a dealer to say, I can take away from that podcast and I can try to execute this because a lot of opinions out there and a lot of people telling how well they're doing here or there. But at the end of the day, if you can't give me something, it's irrelevant to me. And so um, I've got a couple quick little things that I would, I would throw out there to see to be some sort of benefit to dealers that feel like they're struggling in this area when it's appropriate. I'll let you lead into that. But, um, but really that's my heart is that other people would start to get a feel for how to change this industry because um, this industry needs to continue to change and evolve and be better for the consumer. And I think we would all agree. Most people watching your podcast would probably agree with that. Well, I think so. And if they don't, then they can go watch someone else's podcast. Um, sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, though. Like, it re- really is, true. right? And, you know, I love, you know, I do a lot of branding exercises with uh, with dealerships and my, and my consulting time with them and stuff like that. And I love the fact that you guys did word association. Like, you you knew how you wanted to be described. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you gave the, the, those were the words that kind of gave, you know, meaning to your why. And then that gave you, that gave it direction to your process and everything mm-hmm. else just kind of falls into play. Right. You know, look, guys, it, it, if you're listening to this, you're watching this. I think the one, th- the, one of the biggest things you're going to take away from this is understand that this is not a widget. Okay, We're not talking about a widget. We're talking about a whole hell of a lot than a widget. We're talking about mindset. We're talking about defining your why. We're talking about how to build a brand. You know, um, I'm curious for you because you've gone down this path and I've gone down this path and I know how struggling it can be to go down this path. Yeah. You know, if 
what, what would you say the, the one thing that you've learned going through this that you know now, but you wish you knew when you started? I'm curious. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. Uh, the, this most simple question to ask a customer, what does success look like for you in this purchase? Like you're in a different state, you're in a different part of town, you don't want to come in, you do want to come in. At the beginning, we tried to micromanage so many, well, if they say this, then we'll say that, and we'll do this and they'll do that. What I realized is that sometimes just asking them, okay, what, what does it look like? Well, I want to get a good value for my trade. Okay, no problem. What is that number? How can we help you on that? And just ask them straight up, what does it look like for this to work out for you? And then let mm -hmm. them define it and then you execute it. And if you can't do it, that's fine. I, hey, we, we can't get there, whatever you know, the circumstances are. But I think we tried to we tried to figure out how to be transparent instead of just being transparent and just asking so them, true. what does this look like? And I would tell you, if you're a dealer out there right now and you, you're getting calls from out of state or whatever, A, figure out how to, how to execute on that. And most people have figured it out. You can FedEx it, no problem. Um, you don't need a $2,000 a month widget that's quote unquote. Now you can do digital retail on your, um, you know, on your website or whatever. It's literally just asking the customer, Hey, what, what would success look like for you on this deal? And they'll tell you. And then typically, uh, if you have the right car for them and all that, it's literally just um, executing on that. And so it maybe seems overly simplistic, but that is the one thing that we overcomplicated the daylights out of just asking people what success looks like. Oh, no, 100%. You know, like we, we sit there and almost kind of hold our breaths and wait for other people to define it when we really just need to take the time and kind of define it ourselves. Um, look, Jeff, I know we're getting towards the tail end of our time today, but I know you have some final thoughts and a couple nuggets you want to throw out there. And I, I really appreciate that you prepared that. So so thank you. So now I'd like to hear, so so Jeff, what are your, your kind of final thoughts for everyone out there that's watching, listening? Do you want to give them that that takeaway, that go home, that get it started, just, just you know, shut up and just start doing, you know, yeah. <laughs> what is it? What does that look like? Yeah, no. And I listen, I please hear my heart behind this it is not, a, it does not come from a place of arrogance or that we've figured something out. Um, I mean, I think we, we have in a lot of areas, but man, if you got a heart for people and you're trying to change your industry into kind of this new market, the, the, there's two things that you have to be really, really careful of. One is, is the fact that people feel like they have this figured out right now, but the market is just really strong. And so you got to be a little bit careful yes, about the fact that you may just have the right car at the right time. And people are willing to go through your process because you have what they want. All sense That's a sense. whole lot different than somebody saying, I just want to do business with these guys. I'm thankful that they have this car as one. This, this would work for me. This is great. I just love their process and their and who they are as an organization. That is different than I'm buying this car despite you. Mm -hmm. And it's really mm -hmm. easy to muddy those because you, sometimes if you don't have a process in place or don't have a, um, a, a specific way to go about doing business, you'll think that you're doing something right when you just you just got gosh, it's such a harsh term. I don't mean get lucky, but man, sometimes you just have the red grand Cherokee that they wanted and they're willing to put up with whatever desk or widget or whatever you have that just put up with it to go through the car buying process because that's the car they want. It's not about you sure. or your store or anything else is because you have the car they wanted. And I think we miss that a lot. And, and that happens with us too. Like, hey, you know, everyone's heard the term of broken watches right twice a day. That's fine. I, I'll take two deals twice a day. That's fine. Just by having the right car. We, I get that. But it's that 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 deals, depending on the size of your store, that you can pick up 
a month by building something that you can believe in and building something that your team can believe in. So, so I'll leave that there that sometimes a broken watch is right twice a day. Don't mistake that for you understanding what's actually happening in the, in the market. And the, the last thing I'll hit on is, is you have to invest in your people. You have got to invest in your people and you have got to let them be who they are. But I always tell people, be you inside of us, right? Like be you, mm-hmm. but you just have to understand who we are in order to operate inside of that. So once you've got the heart change and you're like, listen, this is how we're going to do it. You need to internally market to your people. And it doesn't even have to be fancy. It can be on a video like this where you just on Friday mornings, you send something out from your home office and you just say, Hey, it's bill or whatever. And I just want to tell you guys how much I appreciated you this week. I know we had a lot, a lot of late hours, a lot of hustle, but man, it just means so much to me. You guys are working so hard. Um, and I just appreciate you so much. That goes, that goes so far. Oh yeah. Um, and it doesn't take much time to do. So, um, those would be my two things that, you know, build your team internally and, and un- try to understand the landscape of what's happening next, as opposed to falling in love with your um, current process based upon the market conditions. That's awesome. And those are some great takeaways. And, and Jeff, I, I really can't tell you how much I appreciate you just, just being so open and willing to you have bet. this conversation. Now, look, I'm no, I'm serious about that though, because how many times do we talk to dealers and they're like, it's a secret sauce. I don't share that. You know, it's like secret sauce. Yeah. Right. You know, yeah. but, but, but I, but I hope <laughs> for everyone out there that's watching and listening, understanding that, that this is, this is a process. This is a journey. You're going to screw up. You're going to make mistakes, you know, but just enjoy the process you know, and, and I love the heart change, you know, it really does kind of start with that heart change that, that, that defines that why, and it kicks everything into gear. This has just been an awesome podcast. I mean, for, for Jeff, for everybody out there that's watching, listening right now, and would love to kind of connect with you and, and follow along with your journey, you know, what, what is the best way to do so? Yeah, you bet. At ClearShift Cars uh, on Instagram, on Facebook, um, at LinkedIn, um, we're all over the place. We, we stay, we share videos a couple times a week. Um, but really it's just for us to get our heart to you, um, no strings attached or anything. We just are trying to you know, share our successes and our failures with our dealer community and, and with our, with our customers. So, um, it's at the, at, at ClearShift cars in all of those places. That's so awesome. Hey, Jeff, uh, again, thank you for taking the time to chat with me today. This has been an absolute blast. You have, you had you yourself an amazing day, man. Jason, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to the Strategy Mob Podcast with your host, Jason Harris. Don't want to miss new content? Be sure to sign up to be a mobster at strategymob.com to stay in the know. Remember to like, comment, and subscribe. 